Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Just a quick reminder at the end of our gathering, we're going to take communion. If you did not get the elements and uh, you are following Jesus, we want you to be able to grab those. They're at each of the entrances, so you can slip out and, and get that a little later if you'd like. Um, I don't know if you have a person like this in your life, somebody who just seems to know everything. Do you know somebody? Is it you? Is <laughs> I had a guy uh, that I hung out with in high school. Um, this guy, he knew everything. He was a walking Wikipedia. Not encyclopedia, a Wikipedia. So much information and you didn't trust much of it. Like, but there was so much that he would say and he would say it so confidently that you just believed it. Uh, I don't think he's ever said the words, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, even in simple conversations, he'd point out the smallest details just to let you know he knew something about what was going on. And I remember one time we were sitting talking about Star Wars, and I said, wouldn't it be amazing if we had some of this futuristic technology from Star Wars? And he looked at me and he said, uh, actually, Brandon, uh, there's no futuristic technology in Star Wars. Surprised you didn't know that. And I'm like, okay, I know, I know, I get it. It's, uh, it's, not, it's, a, it's, it's just a movie. He said, right, it's just a movie from a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> and I said, it is amazing, isn't it, that they can have lightsabers and hyperspeed and giant ships, but they don't have indoor plumbing. I get it. I get it. Star Wars is his thing. Like, he just knew everything about every single thing that you would talk about. And he was so convincing with his answer. He was so confident. Uh, he was a little intense. Like you just didn't even question him at some points. And, and you knew that if you did question him, he was going to spend the next 30 minutes telling you why he was right and all of the ways that he was right. And despite what like so many of us are convinced of, the truth is uh, success doesn't necessarily come from having all the answers. Maybe you want to write this down. You know, while it may seem like successful people have all the answers, the truth is that they never stop asking questions. The most successful people in life, they're just constantly learning. They're constantly growing. They're asking questions because they know that they want to they wanna learn more. They want to do more. They want to take on more, but they don't want it to be harder. So we're learning. Successful people just constantly learn. In other words, successful people are teachable. And having a great wealth of knowledge, like it's great, but, but having all the answers, it can actually be a barrier. And it can also be a stumbling block on our path to spiritual maturity. Jesus addressed this. I mean, he addressed this in front of a crowd. Like he was speaking to people who just knew it all. And in Matthew chapter 18, he's speaking to people who are seemingly unteachable. And he calls a small child to him and he had him stand among them. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is, this is so rich. And yet it's something that's so easy to gloss over. You know, Jesus is not telling grown men, grown women. He's not telling adults that they, they need to start acting like children. Notice that he calls a small child to himself. Notice that he doesn't call a teenager to himself. And it's not that teenagers aren't teachable. You just have to think 
like Jesus is thinking when it comes to a small child who quite hasn't hit the I know everything, who, who might, you know, be a little frustrated and, and want, but they're all of these attributes like, uh, like childlike curiosity. When he pulls a small child to him, he's pointing out the vulnerability. They don't have it all figured out. They, not only do they not have it figured out, their vulnerability is that they rely on adults to take care of them. They're fully dependent on their parents. Just like the group of men and women he's speaking to need to be dependent, more dependent on God. Children, certainly in this time in scripture, this first century, children just did not have any status whatsoever. And he said, if, if you really want to know how to be great, it's found within humility and teachability. You got to be an open cup, an open as empty as possible so that we can be filled up. Because teachable, teachable is so important and, and unteachable Unteachable people just have no room to grow. I remember uh, interviewing for my first full-time job, like a re uh, my real job. I just graduated college, and I applied to so many churches looking to be a youth pastor. I went, I went to Bible college, and I wanted to be a high school pastor. Like, this was my life's goal. My life's mission is to love teens the way that Jesus uh, would do so. And, and I just, that's what I was doing. And I'm, like, applying and interviewing. And... I get like to a second and third interview with this church and, and Dan Howard was the guy interviewing for the position. And I remember at the third interview, I just was, I was, I was a little like, I was done. I was just done with the interview problems. Just like, this is taking so long. And I just needed to know, I just needed to know what is taking so long. And I either wanted him to tell me you have the job or I wanted him to cut me loose, but I couldn't just hang on not knowing. And at this, this final like, moments that he and I had during this third interview, I remember standing outside of my car and he said, we'll be in touch. And then I turned around and I said, I just got to know, what does that mean? Because I, I, like, I, just, I just need to know. Like, what, what steps are you waiting on before we would know? And he said this. He said, there's a, there's a guy who's interviewing. He's from California. Um, he's got 10 years of experience and he's on vacation so we're not even gonna be able to interview him for at least seven to 14 days. And I'm just like another, another half month, maybe longer before I hear anything. And I look at this guy and I just said, Dan, why would you ever pick a kid right out of college when you have the opportunity to hire somebody with over a decade of experience? And Dan looked at me and he said, Brandon, that's a really good question. He said, I'm looking for three C's when I'm hiring somebody. I'm looking for somebody who has capacity. I'm looking for somebody who has competency. And I'm looking for somebody with character. And he said, Brandon, you seem to be a man of God. Like, I think that you're a man of character, and I really have appreciated getting to know you. And honestly, Brandon, you seem like you've got capacity, like... Like you uh, have a lot of raw talent and ability. You just need somebody to build into your life. So the thing that you're questioning, the thing that you're frustrated about is your competency. And he said, I've been in ministry so long, I can help you with competency, but I can't fix your character and I can't personally expand your capacity. And I looked at him and I said, I appreciate hearing that. 
I got in my car and I drove home and I still, I was like, you know, my cup's empty. I'm te- hopefully I'm teachable. But, but I just couldn't see it. And I got a phone call from him like two or three days later. And he said, hey, Brandon, uh, we would like to offer you the job to be our junior high pastor. And I was just so ecstatic on the phone. I was like, really? What, what, what happened to the other guy? Did he pull out? Did he, you know, did he quit the, the interview process? He goes, no. We, we called him and we told him we're going to move in a different direction and we want to we hire you. And there was just something in that moment that was like very special for me. And, and I remember, like, I wanted to be a high school pastor. I wanted to go into ministry to, to minister to the freshmen through seniors. It was what I had been doing, volunteer. And I remember saying this to him because he was the high school pastor. He hired me to be the seventh and eighth grade pastor. I said, Dan, one, one final question before I accept the job. I'm just wondering, like, how much longer are you going to be there before I take your job? So I wasn't a liability, but I wasn't real mature. <laughs> Teachable. Uh, I would like to say that I still am. I hope that I am. Um, but he saw something in me that I don't know that I saw in myself. And, and Solomon agrees that when you are teachable. When people see teachability in you, there's something more interesting about you, more attractive about you. People want to work with you. They want to collaborate with you. It, there's just something attractional about people who are teachable. You know, some people, they won't let you teach them anything. And if we're honest, like there are certain times and certain scenarios and in the company of certain people that you and I, we both refuse to be teachable. And we don't want to be that person. And when we take a look into scripture, we see so many men and women who are teachable and have unteachable characteristics. But I just want to point out two of them. I love this. Let's just look real quick at Peter and Judas, these two men who were chosen to be among the first disciples. Like these two men did life together, but more importantly, they did life with Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. They saw his ministry. They saw his miracles. They witnessed his teaching, his healings. He, he ate with these two men. Jesus spent so much time with both of these guys. They shared a, a very close relationship. And, and Peter and Judas, they both experienced monumental failure when it comes to their walk with Jesus. You know, when you, when you look at these two men, <clears throat> you see that they both had an incredible advantage of being that close to Jesus but their stories, and ultimately their legacies, are, are just very different. You know, Peter is known for his boldness and his, his enthusiasm. Uh, he displayed a, a desire to learn and grow. Peter absolutely had ambition, but his ambition was pointed toward ultimately his, his love for Jesus and his desire to fulfill God's will in his life. You know, even when Peter like leaned into his blind spots, like when he denied Jesus three times. He was confronted and he repented. He learned from his mistakes, which, which made him a stronger leader for the church. You know, Peter's ambition, it was fueled by faith and a desire to serve Jesus and to serve others. But on the other hand, you look at Judas. And Judas was also a man of ambition, but his ambition was driven by selfishness. It was driven by greed. You know, he betrayed Jesus for, for his own personal gain, seeking power and control through that betrayal. And, 
And rather than seeking forgiveness and learning from his mistakes and, and repenting and experiencing the grace that Jesus has to offer, Judas followed his own path and he allowed guilt to overcome him and to consume him, leading him to the worst of endings in his own life. His ambition was anchored in self-interest, which ultimately separated him from the very one he was following. One of these disciples was teachable, humbled himself and embraced Jesus. The other refused. And I'm telling you, church, lean in here because it is so easy to refuse. It's, it's easy to miss teachable moments when we're unteachable. You know, the good news is there's a biblical blueprint for becoming more teachable in Proverbs chapter 15. Why don't you flip over to Proverbs chapter 15 and we're going to look at Solomon's like blueprint for, for guiding us toward a life of teachability. And by the way, we are like in chapter 15, we're at the halfway point of the book of Proverbs. As much time has passed in this book, we've got that much more time to go. So we've got some Proverbs journals out in our atrium. Grab one as you leave. The scripture is in there and a giant space for notes. It's been a benefit to a lot of us. And as you're flipping to Proverbs 15, I just want to tell you, I'm going to make a promise up here. I promise you that, that being more teachable will help you in every area of your life. Every single aspect of your life will be better if you are a teachable person. If you've never been to church before and you apply everything that we learned today, I'm telling you, life is going to be better. Life will be better. But Solomon, in his teaching about being teachable, points to something bigger than just a better job or a better life or better friendships. As followers of Jesus, we want to be teachable because it allows us to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding and toward righteousness or right living. It draws us closer to God and aligns our lives with his will. So here's what I want you to do. This is going to feel a little unnatural. As we're talking about pride and humility and being teachable, maybe somebody has come to your mind. So I just want us to all say out loud, I know somebody who needs to hear this. One, two, three. Now on the count of three, say it's me. One, two, three. Yeah, don't share this with anybody. Nobody's going to appreciate you handing this to them. Hey, Mr. Prideful, I got a sermon for you this week. Like, somebody might need to hear that, but they might not be willing to hear it if you're just shoving this in their face. Can we just sit and kind of soak this up today? What, what Solomon is saying from Proverbs 15 for our own lives to sharpen us. And, you know, maybe the opportunity will open up to share with somebody else. But as you're thinking of other people who need to hear this, I just want to encourage you to hear this today. So we're going to look at uh, these, these, this blueprint, uh, this, this blueprint that's going to show us five crucial characteristics of a teachable person. And if you're taking notes, I'd love it if you'd write this down. It is easy to overlook our imperfections but a teachable person embraces wise guidance. It's so easy to overlook our flaws, but we got to look for wise guidance. Teachability requires a, a willingness to learn from our mistakes and to be open to the guidance of other people. In other words, like we want to embrace correction. You might write that to the side. Embrace correction. To be teachable, you and I, we have to be willing to accept correction and learn from our mistakes. And I'm telling you, like for me, Maybe you're different. For me, when I'm wrong, I kind of hope that nobody notices. I just want to gloss over it. I want to ignore it. I just want to sit back and go, everything is fine. And I got to tell you, everything is not fine. We've, we've got we've to like be teachable and accept correction when we mess up. Look at what uh, Proverbs 15.5 says. A fool 
despises his father's discipline, but a person who accepts correction is sensible. Like correction is good. Why would we despise this discipline? And by the way, a good father has the best interest of his children in mind. Like when, when we accept correction from people who love us and, and who have our best interest in mind, these, these small moments of correction, especially when we're young, help us avoid some of life's biggest pitfalls as we grow up and as we grow older. So it's super important that, that we don't despise like healthy, good, loving discipline, but we would accept correction uh, because it's sensible. I like how Solomon, it's just sensible. It makes sense. Look at verse 32. Because anyone who ignores discipline despises himself. If you hate correction, you're really punishing you. But whoever listens to correction acquires good sense. Like we want to be teachable. We want to be mo mo molded, right? I don't, I, uh, You know, we, we need to discern the difference between like being hurt and having like, uh, and not feeling good. There's, there's a little bit of a line here, especially in our culture. Like we don't want to ignore discipline because it makes us feel bad, but we do want to stay away from abusive people. Like just because your feelings are hurt or just because, you know, you didn't like being corrected, that's not a good enough reason to ignore discipline and correction. Like correction is good. Uh, and, and I got to say this, just maybe make a note somewhere. Discipline is not abuse. Discipline is not abuse. Like we want to be disciplined people. We want to have disciplines. That's, think of correction more you know, than the strong hand of consequences. The consequences are good too. Look at this next verse. I read it to my children every night before bed. Discipline is harsh for the one who leaves the path, but the one who hates correction will die. Okay, I don't read that to my kids at night. I should put that on their mirror in their bathroom though. You know, Ultimately, when, when we ignore or we hate correction, if it's good correction, if it's, if it's uh, like we're off the path and we need to get back on the path, like this verse is nailing it. Like it's really the, the things we're learning now are, are protecting and correcting our course for future possible pitfalls. Uh, look, at, look at this in verse 12. A mocker, a mocker doesn't love the one who corrects him. He will not consult the wise. In your Bibles there, uh, underline, consult the wise. Like we, we have to consult the wise. We have to like ask questions. Don't just feel like you have all the answers. Ask questions. Correction is good. And so we have to respond to wise correction. You know, we don't want to just respond to it when it's dropped in our laps. I mean, that's good, but it's not always going to be dropped in our laps. We're not always going to be hanging out with the, the wisest, best people to ask the questions. We want to go seek it. If you're taking notes, uh, write, write this down, because this leads us right into our next point. It's easy for us to do what's right in our own eyes, but a teachable person seeks wise counsel. A teachable person chases after it. Seeking is active. We're not just waiting for things to be dropped in our lap. We gotta run after it, we gotta go after it, we gotta chase it, it's active. You know, I, I, I don't know, I buy stuff every now and then, and when I open up the box of whatever I've purchased, whether it's a grill, or a bicycle, or a leaf blower, 
or a video game, I am not reaching for the manual first. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going I'm to try the video game, and then when I get stuck, I might ask somebody. When I open up that grill, I'm going to try to put the legs on before I try all the other little things, right? We're trying to figure, but there's just some, there's a, honestly, there's probably a level of, of unhealthy pride within that. Not that you have to look at the instructions every single time you open something. Some things are easy to figure out. But some of us have been so good at winging it in life that we've just completely ignored the directions and we have ignored wise counsel and we haven't sought it out. Even though a lot of times it's just right there in front of us. Look at verse 22. Plans fail when there's no counsel, but with with many advisors, they succeed. Now remember, Proverbs is filled with principles. So this isn't, like, this isn't like a command, like for every single decision you ever have to make in life, you need to have many advisors if you want success. It's just a principle. When you're, certainly when you're heading into a, a big decision, uh, a big purchase, a big you know, turn in, in the road of life with your job, with your family, you definitely want to seek out the wisdom of those who have gone before you, those who are wise, even people in your life group to just say, this is what I'm thinking, this is what we're doing. We don't want our plans to fail because we leaned on our own understanding. We see this in, uh, in the book of Judges. Check this out. Uh, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is a really scary verse to me, by the way, because everyone did what was right in their own eyes. When people were doing what they were doing, they didn't think they were doing wrong. They thought they were doing what was right. And sometimes you and I, we can convince ourselves we've ignored wisdom. We've ignored wise counsel. We're just kind of moving in our own direction. I think this is what I could do. And you and I could end up like driving a stake into the ground, anchoring ourselves to things that are not true just because we think they're right, because we think they're okay. You know, in the book of Judges, we see this disturbing pattern emerge, like, People of that time, they became increasingly more and more self-reliant. They, they were like only measuring their actions from their limited perspectives. And they failed to recognize that they weren't the standard for what is good. They weren't the standard for what is right. What if we're doing something wrong and we've anchored ourselves to something that is not true just because we think it is right and we haven't sought out wise counsel? We've got to seek wisdom and guidance beyond ourselves. And I'm going to give you three places where, where you and I can seek out wise counsel. Write this down just somewhere. Write down the word church. Look at this. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. What's happening right now in this room? It is so good. Like we, we are not only like we get to be the church, but we're coming together as the church. There is so much encouragement and community. There's so much wise guidance in this room. Like we get each other. We don't have to be here. We get to be here. This is, this is part of what God has, has put in our path so that we can make wise decisions, so that we can learn together. We can praise and worship together and grow together. Write down this word. Write down the word, you know, mentor or encourager. Look at this, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Now, I know men all over the globe have claimed this verse for themselves, and they should, but so should women. Like, this isn't about men, this is about people. 
Men, I hope you have other godly men in your life who are sold out to, to your spiritual success. Women, I hope the same is for you, that you have godly women who are encouraging you and guiding you with the truth and wisdom that God has given them. Like we're here for each other. We all need encouragers in our lives. We need mentors. We need people who have, who have gone before us, who can sharpen us. And here, write this. This is the third thing. Just write down life groups. Life groups. Look at this. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Like if you're not in a life group, I just, I just ask that you would try a life group. On your, your worship folder, just, there's, there's a box about life groups. Say, I need to get in one. This type of community is so profound for you spiritually. Try a life group if you're not in one. And for those of us that are in life groups, we know that that's a place where we break down walls, where vulnerability can happen, where humility can grow, where we encourage one another to be more dependent on our Heavenly Father. Like, this is incredible that we get to do this. Life groups... That's where some conversations are happening that aren't really able to happen here in a room this big like this. Those three things, God is using those in, in mighty ways. There's value in seeking advice from, from multiple sources. Teachability involves recognizing that no single person has the answer and, and that wisdom can be gained from others who have experienced what you have not yet experienced. So church, mentors, life groups. Those things, are, those things are great. Here's number three if you're taking notes. It's easy, it's easy to do what we think is right, but a teachable person seeks out what's right. These last two, they kind of seem similar. Uh, the last point is the right people. This point is really the right knowledge. We want the right information. We've got to seek out the right things. You know, first, uh, um, first Proverbs, because they're all first. Proverbs 15, 14, uh, a discerning mind seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Again, just this encouragement from Solomon to go after it, go get it. And, and actually, this is real familiar to something that Solomon's already said in chapter 4. Proverbs 4, verse 5, he says, go get it. Go get wisdom. Go get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Solomon is saying, what I am, what I am teaching you is so important. Don't forget it. You got to go chase it. Don't wait for somebody to give it to you. Don't wait for it to just drop in your path. Go after it. And James gives us insight on exactly how to do that. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God. We get to go to God. And God's going to give to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. To chase after, to have a conversation with our Heavenly Father, to ask for wisdom, and then to know that he's going to give it. Like God wants you to succeed in life. He wants you to be wise he wants you to make good decisions with, with your time and your money and relationships and everything else. We get to come to God expecting that he wants what's good for us. And while Proverbs is a book filled with principles, this is a verse with a promise. James is saying, God's going to give you wisdom. If you ask for it, he's going he's to give you wisdom and he does it ungrudgingly. I love that word ungrudgingly. You know what that means? That means he's not mad that you asked for it. It means he's not bitter when he gives it. It, it. it means he doesn't regret giving you something that you don't deserve because we can't earn it. Like he just graciously gives it to us, ungrudgingly hands it to us. Here's three ways, three ways that, uh, that we can receive this knowledge. God, 
communicates his wisdom primarily through prayer, through his word, and through wise counsel. So when we have issues and questions and, and, and we have curiosities and, and concerns, like we, we go to God in prayer and we ask in faith and, and then we go to his word and see what does scripture say about these areas and things that I'm dealing with. And he puts wise counsel in our life. You know, somebody in your life group, that's one of the reasons you're in a life group is to be in community with other people journeying with Jesus just like you are. And if we're cutting off communication with God, if we refuse to listen through, you know, the, the ways that he is speaking, we're bound to make our own decisions. We're making decisions every day. We don't want to make these decisions alone on our own. You know, to be teachable... We must be willing to actively pursue wisdom and understanding and knowledge and wise counsel. We got to go seek it. We got to have a hunger for that. Here's, here's number four. Five crucial characteristics of a teachable person. For us, it's, it's easy to ignore our critics. This is a hard one. But a teachable person listens to constructive criticism. Constructive criticism, it doesn't matter if you put the word constructive in front of it. Some of us, we don't like conflict, we don't like criticism, and we stay away from it. And because we stay away from it, we've, we've got nothing to learn from, except for our own experience and our own opinion. And I don't know the, the range of, of emotion or hurt that's in this room from even somebody that you have trusted who, who has hurt you through criticism. That doesn't give us like a hall pass on not listening to constructive criticism. Look what, look what Solomon says in, uh, in our next verse. Oh, I forgot something. I got to tell you about my, uh, my, little, my little picture here. Look at this picture. Thank you, Dave. Um, this is a picture I put out on social media. You guys, you guys out on social media, right? And, you know, like there's all kinds of people out there. And this was just something, like, profound that I had to give the Internet. Check this out. Didn't that change your life? Isn't that incredible? I, I, here's why I show this to you. Um, the, for some reason, I have no idea why, this, this has like, like 1.3 million people watched this video. This is ridiculous, like over a million people. To think that a million people sat through a video to watch me put foam in a cup, it blows my mind. But when you put a million people on your video, and, and I've limited this. You can see that there's a bunch of likes, but there's only 24 comments. I just had to stop the nonsense. Because people, everybody has an opinion. Everybody is willing to share their opinion, especially behind a keyboard. When there is some keyboard courage, there's some hurtful, hateful, ignorant things that are said and shared. And I gotta tell you, some of us, some of us have built our lives around what people think of us. Some of us have built our like worth around the clicks, about the friends, about the, the likes and the comments. We're just waiting. How many people shared my vi And when you and I, when we're building who we are around what people think who don't know us, our world is just ready to crumble. We've got to We've got to receive constructive criticism, but we've got to receive that criticism and that constructive, specifically criticism, 
from people who are sold out to our spiritual success. I don't mind if you use social media. I'm not paying attention to what people are saying in the comment section because this isn't where I find my worth. And by the way, people who love giving criticism are not the people that I seek out. People who power up when they're tearing you down, you just gotta walk away. Um, look, at what, look at what Solomon says in verse 31. The one who listens to life-giving rebukes will be at home among the wise. I love this. Like in your Bibles, maybe, maybe underline all of this, life-giving rebukes, but circle life-giving. Would you just do that right there in your Bible? Circle the word life-giving because while rebukes, like they are necessary, the way that rebukes are given are, are really what make them like palatable, that I can listen to you. Um, they've got to be life-giving. They've got to be encouraging in their rebukes. And look at this. I like this the way it says better in the New Living Translation. If you listen to constructive criticism, you're going to be at home among the wise. That constructive is so important. The aspect of being life-giving is profound. The way that we, we want to hear criticism is the same way you and I need to deliver constructive criticism in a life-giving way. It, it, it's, it separates uh, it separates the, the criticism that's heard and not heard. Look at this, the next verse, Proverbs 15, 2. The tongue of the wise make knowledge attractive. Um, here's why these connect. Because when you're trying to deliver constructive criticism, we want people to listen to it. The way that we speak to people, it matters. It matters the words we use, the tone we use, the relationship we have. And this, here's what it doesn't mean. Knowledge, it doesn't mean that uh, I know you messed up and I'm going to figure out a way to make you feel good about it. It's I'm going to say hard things to you. I'm going to say true things to you. And I want to say them in a way that you'll listen and respond. That's the way I want people to speak to me. That's the way I want to communicate and engage with other people. We're not glossing over the imperfections. We want to be winsome and clear and kind and intentional and loving along the way. In our blueprint, here's number five. This is the last one Solomon gives us. He says, it's easy to let our pride lead the way, but a teachable person cultivates humility. It's so easy for us to let pride be our guide. But a teachable person cultivates humility. We've got to cultivate it. Like humility is not, it's not natural. Now maybe, maybe being quiet is, but humility is something that we have to grow, we have to cultivate. And unfortunately, it's easy for us to wonder who is the best, but a, a teachable person cultivates humility because they want to know what's best. Humility is a key component of being teachable. Um, we don't want to be consumed with our pride. By the way, the Lord hates pride. He hates haughty eyes. He hates arrogance. Pride's what separates us. Jesus told a crowd of seemingly unteachable people that if you let your pride be your guide, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Humility is a key component of any kind of growth, especially spiritual growth. And it means recognizing that you don't know everything and that you have a willingness to learn from other people. Look at verse 25. The Lord tears apart the house of the proud. He just tears apart because he hates pride, but he's protecting the widow's territory. He's protecting that humble territory. And look at this in verse 33. The fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches and humility comes before honor. Like if you want to be honored, if you want to be great, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know how that's going to play out, but it starts with humility. If you want to grow, it starts by getting low. That's what Jesus is saying. He's pointing out a child to the crowd. And even he does it again here with his disciples. 
Do you know Jesus? Jesus talks about his death three times to his disciples as he's walking with them. And as he's bearing his soul, talking to them about the most painful thing that he's going to go through on earth, the disciples huddle together after Jesus shares this a third time. And here's what they say. An argument started among the disciples about who was the greatest. Jesus just said, I'm going to die. And they're like, hey, which of these in the circle is better? Talk about bad timing. Talk about this is just dumb. These disciples, they, they have their, their eyes in the wrong place. You know, they were thinking more about who was best instead of what's best. And then Jesus calls out their pride. Again, he points out a child. And he says, be like this child. Be curious. Be dependent. Be teachable. Be reliant. He said, the least of you will be the greatest. And he says, with, with how competitive you're becoming, Jesus is saying, I want you to become competitive in the way that you outserve one another, not on the way that you are served by others. He's saying, your fear is actually in the wrong place. You're fearing losing your position and your status. And Jesus says, you really should be fearing losing me. Solomon echoes this sentiment here where he says, fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord. This is the beginning of wisdom, by the way. But if you want to be teachable, wisdom teaches fear of the Lord. We don't want to be teachable because we want to be better at life. I mean, like, that's a free, that's a free add-on. That's a free plug-in. We don't want to be teachable because we're going to have better relationships. We're going to be better at our job. We're going to be better people to be around. Those are all amazing benefits of being teachable men and women. You and I want to be profoundly teachable. Wisdom teaches fear the Lord. That we would have a holy, respectful reverence for God, our Heavenly Father, who has given us everything that is good to be had. And it all begins with humility. Humility, it comes before honor. Church, we need this. We need a level of teachability in our lives that points us to the person who we're going to spend eternity with, hopefully. We don't get to spend eternity in heaven apart from, apart from this apart from genuine fear of the Lord. The disciples, by the way, the disciples didn't totally get this. But when Jesus died and rose again, they got it in such a way that they not only gave their lives to the gospel, they gave up their lives for the gospel. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. Ultimately, the level of teachability that we have leads us to righteousness or right living. Like, we, we pursue it. As we become teachable, we realize what we're really running after, what we're really going after. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves, he loves uh, the one who pursues righteousness. We got to run after it. We got to chase after it. 
Righteousness, it's not our natural tendency. Uh, you know, we have to intentionally and consciously choose to pursue it. If you want to be righteous, uh, which Scripture is constantly calling us to, we've got to be teachable. And there's a benefit of righteousness. Look at this. The house of the righteous has great wealth. But trouble accompanies the income of the wicked. Like, the house of the righteous has great wealth. I mean, who doesn't want that? But let me tell you, contextually, it's not necessarily money. This is talking about God's blessing. As we pursue righteousness, as we pursue right living, like the, the benefits that we receive are of great wealth. And for some of us, maybe it is finances. But for others of us, it, it leads to a strong and healthy relationship. The blessing, the wealth is the wealth of relationship through friends and, and family. Uh, uh, you know, maybe for others, it's, it's good health. It's well-being. The blessing can come, the wealth can come in the form of a clear conscience and peace of mind. Some of us are experiencing great wealth in, in a, a deep, abiding faith. Generosity might be part of it and, and your ability to give to others in times of need and yet others. God's blessing comes in the area of, of self-control. If we can just follow this blueprint from Solomon, such wisdom. If we can follow this blueprint, if, if we can grow in these five areas, I promise you, you're going to find yourself walking closer with God. You're going to find yourself embracing a life of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And I tell you this you will find yourself as a transformative, influential power on the world and the people around you. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Lord, thank you for your word, for your encouragement, for your constant pursuit of us. Lord, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would rip our blinders off, that we, that we wouldn't stake our worth to things that are not true, but we would run seek, pursue the things that are worthy. And most of all, Lord, help us find you. We pray this in Christ's name. Could you just hold your, your elements? And I just want to say, uh, this, this is such a great moment for the church. Like communion is a celebration. Communion is a celebration of what Jesus has done for us, but anticipation of what Jesus is going to do for us. That he lived this perfect life, died a sacrificial death, rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. He's alive today and we're awaiting his return. Communion is a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. So you do not need to be a member of Valley Church to take communion today, but you do need to be a member of the family of God, knowing that Jesus died for you confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Through repentance and acceptance, you will be saved. The Apostle Paul, he, he tells how this all went down in an upper room. He, he said, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he looked at his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is for you broken. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So I'm going to give you a moment. Uh, 
Um, actually, would you just bow right now real quick as I give you a little bit of instruction. Just prepare your heart. Talk to Jesus. If you've got something to confess, you've got something to say, you've got something to make right now, the time to do it. It's just open air between you and he. Lord, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. Thanks for the opportunity to celebrate you. Thanks for all that you do for us. Thanks mostly for salvation, which we could, we could never provide for ourselves. We love you, Lord.